Well, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh, if you don't know me. And uh, today, and really this next week, um, this whole series, to some degree, is just a little different than what we would normally do. Normally, you know, we unpack a a book of the Bible or a passage of scripture and we work our way through it and, okay, how does that apply to my life and study it? And we're gonna, we're gonna be doing that. It's not that we're doing none of that today. Uh, but it's a little different in that um, rather than just be in one passage, we're gonna be in and out of a few. And we're gonna look, and we're looking in this series at who we are uniquely as a local church. You know, every individual uh, is unique. They're different. They have different passions, different abilities, different traits about them. Every local church is like that too, by God's design. And we're each unique in good ways that, that show the diversity of God's kingdom. And so what we're doing, if you're visiting today, we're really glad you're here, but we're just kind of talking, maybe it's a good opportunity for you to learn a little more of who we are and just see kind of who we are as a church family uniquely. And so also in this series, next week then, we're going to be articulating not only who we are, but where we're going and where we're heading over the next seven years out to the year 2030 and uh, looking at God's vision for our church, where he's taking us. So uh, first, our identity this week. Next week, our direction. Sound good? Let me pray. And then like I said, it's going to be a little different today, but I think we'll still have some fun. Let me pray and uh, we're going to dive in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your plan is to include us in your mission. That you didn't leave us on our own as orphans, but you sent your spirit and you gave us one another, Lord, as a church family. Help us live into that and grow into that, understanding who we uniquely are. And then uh, just give us passion and excitement for where uh, where you're taking us. Lord, as we, we build your kingdom here, and as we get to be uh, part of your mission right here at Wawasee. Help me, Holy Spirit, I pray, as I uh, teach some of these things and as we talk about them as a family, and to help us understand and be excited and uh, just at who you've made us to be. Father, thank you for Jesus. And as we said last week, thank you that you love us so much. It motivates everything we do and, and all of who we are. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Again, welcome, really glad you're here. Welcome all of you joining us online. And I wonder, do you remember the last time you sat down to do a jigsaw puzzle? You think about that? Um, you know, my wife Hannah likes to do jigsaw puzzles, especially in the winter. And from uh, December to February, if you walk in our house, chances are on the dining room table, you're gonna see uh, a, a jigsaw puzzle in various states of completion depending on when you come in. In fact, last year for Christmas, I even bought her a puzzle table where she can keep track of all of her pieces and sort them by color and put them in these little drawers and all that good stuff with the main puzzle on top. And it usually, I don't know about you, but when, when I put together a puzzle, most people, I think, when you put together a puzzle, how do you start? You start with the edges, right? You start with these edge pieces and you, you frame it up so that you can get a picture of like, what's it gonna look like? And it gives you some boundaries and some definitions. And then you find all the little pieces with straight edges and you find the four corners. It's, it's just the easiest way to begin. If you're a puzzle novice, now you know how to go about it. That's what you've been missing. Start with the edges and frame it up. And then after you get all that together, you've got kind of this frame together really in a pretty short amount of time, comparative to the entire puzzle. 
And now that you've got it framed up, though, the harder part begins. The second part, doesn't it? It's when you go back and you take all those little jagged pieces and you start turning them and twisting them and holding them up and sorting them by color and trying to figure out where do they fit in this puzzle. And over time, after all that sorting and twisting and turning and thinking and looking and checking the box, eventually you start piecing the image together, snapping one piece together, one snap at a time to where little by little, you get that image that develops. Well, as you think about that, um, this is kind of how we think about vision as a church family. See, we're talking about identity this week and then kind of where we're going, direction next week, but all of that kind of relates to vision for our local church, of, of who we are and where God is taking us. And the image, imagery, the metaphor of a puzzle kind of really describes how we think about vision. It's a lot like building a puzzle. First, there's this frame that we start with. We're gonna be talking about that today that kind of frames up the edges of who we are. And then over time, uh, we piece together the little pieces, twisting and turning and fitting it all in of where is God taking us and what's the full picture of where we're going. And so while a puzzle might be a good metaphor, maybe a better one even is a picture frame. Think about a picture in your house. Do you, do you have any picture frames in your home? Maybe you got some pictures on the wall, or even as you leave today, if you went back to my office, I got a bunch in my office, and chances are your picture frame has four sides to it, and those four sides don't really change, they're always the same, but over time, maybe you change the picture that's in the middle of it. For instance, you might have had uh, your uh, child or grandson's kindergarten picture in there eight years ago, and maybe now this year you've got their seventh grade or eighth grade picture in there. And it changes, and that frame really focuses your attention on that image, doesn't it? That's the, that's the point of a frame. Well, when we think about vision, that's kind of what we're talking about, is, is we're thinking of these things that are static, that don't change, the frame, that frame up the picture of where we're going as a church family. So today, we're gonna to talk about the frame the vision frame, we like to call it. And next week, we're gonna talk about the picture in the middle of where God's taking us. Sound good? So I told you, today's gonna to be a little different. I'm not gonna give you like this sentence and you fill in the blanks and you try to guess what it is. I'm gonna give you just kind of some inside baseball, so to speak, of like, what do we mean by a vision frame? What are those pieces of the frame? Well, the first side, we're gonna kind of start on the right side. That first side is our mission as a church. It's our mission. Uh, in her book called The Path, an author by the name of Lori Beth Jones writes this. She said, my uncle once told me during World War II that if an unidentified soldier appeared suddenly in the dark and couldn't state his mission, he was automatically shot without question. Then she goes, I wonder what would happen if we reinstituted that policy today. What if we did that on a Sunday morning when you come into church and you're serving and we say, what's the mission? Do you know the mission? And if you don't know it, we shoot you. We're not gonna do that. Wouldn't that be awful? I bet you'd learn it pretty quick or else you just wouldn't come back, one of the two. But wouldn't that motivate you to know your mission, to know what it is you're supposed to do, what it is we're supposed to do as a church? You might think of mission kind of like as a compass, like it, 
it, it just gives direction to what we're supposed to do. A mission statement, it's this clear, concise statement that defines what we're ultimately to be doing. All of us, individually and as a group. Now, you might argue and say, Josh, I thought every church had the same mission. Like, didn't Jesus give the great mission, the great commission? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Yeah, he did. And every church does have that same mission, right? But as we mentioned earlier, just like every one of you are unique and you maybe express and live your life in, in slightly different ways with different quirks and every church is that way too. And so every church articulates that in a way that's carryable for them. And so I wonder, do you know how we state it? How we like to say it around here? How many of you, if I put you on the spot right now, you'd be like, yeah, I got it without looking at your notes, because it's in there. You know, I, in the kindest way I can, let me just say this. See the smile? I'm saying it really kindly. If you're a member of our church, you should totally know this mission statement. You should know it by heart. If you're a leader in our church, and you don't know it, or you don't agree with it, then, then I'm failing in letting you lead. You should know this inside and out. Because it's what we do. It's kind of question zero of who we are. It's our what. So let's, let's say it together. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Let me encourage you, challenge one another with this. I'm serious. You can start with me. You can start with Pastor Dave. You can start with staff. Come to us anytime you want and just say, all right, mission, Josh, what is it? And make sure I can rattle it off. But beware, because then I'm going to ask you the same thing. Do you know our mission? We're, and it's so purposeful, right? We are sent. We're sent ones. It, it answers uh, who we are and what we, really what we do. So I would love it if over the next year, I just walk out into the commons after church or before walking through and I just hear people going, do you know it? Do you know the mission? Can you say it? Challenge one another, memorize it. Uh, because as you learn it and understand it, you know what starts to happen? It starts to pop up in your mind when you're in a situation where, like, I don't like this person. Josh, we're sent to love people. <clears throat> yeah, I guess I'm supposed to love them, aren't I? even if I don't like them. Yeah. And not only just love them, but invite them. Invite them into friendship and relationship. Invite them ultimately to follow Jesus with us. That's our mission. And we really emphasize that idea of being sent because, well, uh, God sends us into the world. It's God's design for his church. He, we're, we're sent ones. He instituted the church big capital C, all of the church, and the local church, not simply to exist for ourselves, but to exist for the good of the world and the good of our community. That's why we're here. He planted us here not just to sit here, but to be sent all over here in our area, in our community. He sent us into the world. God's ascending God, and he sent you and I. 
In fact, every person in the Bible and every person ever, I mean, if once you are called to faith in Jesus Christ, the next thing he does is he sends you out as his missionary. And I think you've heard me joke, you know, some of you maybe that, well, maybe the one, uh, one example where that doesn't happen in Bible is the thief on the cross, right? Because he comes to faith and Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. But, and really he, he is sent right to where he is because what's he start doing? He starts witnessing to the guy on the other cross on the other side of Jesus, right in that moment. If you're, if you're following Jesus, you're also sent by him. You're a missionary is the way you might think of it. Now, let me show you one small snapshot of this in the New Testament. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 20, uh, or it'll be on the screen as well. Let me set the stage for you. This passage takes place after Jesus's resurrection. He died on the cross. He was buried uh, in the grave for three days, and then he rose from the grave, and then he begins appearing to his disciples. And in this case the disciples are actually uh, still afraid because of everything that had happened. It's like the evening of his resurrection. And they're afraid because the, the authorities, the religious rulers, they were out for him. And so here's what we read in John chapter 20, verse 19. Uh, when it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together. Look how afraid they were. They had the doors locked because they feared the Jews. The doors were locked. The windows maybe were boarded up. They're afraid. So much had happened. You know, Jesus was put on trial. He was murdered. He was buried. Now there's rumors he's alive. And the leaders are, are just hellbent on squashing this new movement called Christianity, the way. And then look what happens. And then Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Now, one side note, how many of you, when you heard this passage growing up, if you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't, but if you did, you heard this passage and you heard it taught as suddenly Jesus just went, like through the wall and there he was. Anybody, anybody kind of hear that or think that? You know, it, it doesn't say that anywhere in the text that Jesus like passed through the wall or that he just suddenly appeared. It just says he came and was among them. I kind of wonder, actually, if when you look at some of their fear, if it wasn't a lot like we've been studying Acts and we're going back to Acts next month, but in Acts chapter 12, do you remember when Peter was freed from prison and all of a sudden the doors just started opening that were locked shut in front of him? I wonder if it's like that, if the door just opened, which if they were afraid already and then the door that they had locked like three times suddenly opened and Jesus walks in, they're really afraid. And what does Jesus say to them? Peace be with you, peace. It's okay, it's me. Don't be afraid. And that's what he says in this moment. And then again, a second time he says it. In the very next verse, he showed him his hands and his side. Look, it's me. He said, peace be with you. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But then something kind of crazy happens. Jesus gets a little crazy in this next line because... Remember how afraid they were. They had everything locked up. Katie barred the door. Jesus shows up. Ah! And then, oh no, it's me. Don't, peace. But then what does he say to him? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He tells them in the midst of all of that, 
in the midst of your fear, in the midst of a culture that hates you, what am I doing? I'm saying peace and get out there. Just like God sent me, I'm sending you. That's what he says. You know, um, Will Mancini writes this about the scene. Notice that his words of peace were not for comfort's sake. They were for mission's sake. This is one of the precious few times. John says there were only three appearances that the Lord spent with the disciples after his resurrection. We have few words in red ink during this time, and in these fleeting moments, we see the deepest desire of our Savior, that his redeemed flock would unlock their doors and latch their hearts to a lost and dying world. Friends, we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. We're not sent to fight people. We're not sent to fight a culture war. We're not sent to boycott everything in the world. We're not sent to freak out on social media. We're sent to what? Love. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, in the same way I'm sending you. If you want to know how Jesus was sent, look at John 3, 16 and 17. In fact, maybe just turn there briefly now. John chapter 3, verse 16. You're already in John chapter 20. Turn back a few pages. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Then look at verse 17, how the son was sent. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. As the father sent Jesus, so he sends us. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, he sent us to love. Does that mean we never confront sin? No. Does that mean we never talk about things that are bad? No. It just means that our primary motivation, our primary action is to love people and, and God will sort those things out. That's just, that's not our arena. Our arena is to love people and tell them, hey, you're messed up. So was I, so am I, but I know somebody who can straighten it all out and I want to introduce you to him. His name's Jesus. Do you see? We're sent to love. We're sent in the same way. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I also send you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor during Hitler's reign in Nazi Germany, said the church is only the church when it exists for others. And friends, if our default is to be inward focused, you know what's gonna happen to our church? Maybe not right away. 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It'll die. The building will be sold and it'll be used for some other thing. Unless we remember our mission, we're sent. That's side one of our frame. Here's the second one. We'll move a little faster here. Our second one is our values. You might think of values as kind of the, the motivational flame that gives purpose to the why of what we do. It motivates what we do. In the early 1960s, President John F. Kennedy gave an address. He articulated his vision uh, for space exploration. And uh, in Congress and then later at Rice University, he got up and he said that we should commit ourselves to achieving the goal before this decade is out of sending a man to the moon and returning him safely to Earth. 
And a lot of people thought he was crazy. In fact, a Gallup poll indicated that 58% of Americans were opposed to his plan and his mission. They didn't want it to happen. But it was really clear, put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, that's the what? That's the mission, right? So in his vision frame for sending someone to the moon, that's the mission. But there were also some important values embedded. And the biggest, you might say, is the preservation of human life. Because it wasn't just send a man to the moon, what else was it? Bring him home safely. The preservation of life was woven into it. Not just put somebody on the moon, but bring them back safely to Earth. You ever watch the movie Apollo 13? Imagine if on that movie, they're going to the moon, something happens. Imagine if the movie ended after everything went crazy and we just said, hey, see you guys. Good luck. Turned our TVs off. That'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Like you're on your own. No, we wanted to see what happened and the whole, the whole tension of the whole story, of the true life story is, was getting them back to earth safely. It was motivated not only of getting there, but by getting home safely, the preservation of, of life. It motivated what they did. If not, they would have just said, ah, we didn't make it to the moon. I guess we're done here. Good luck, fellas. And those values motivate our what? And so values are just these convictions that guide our actions as a church. So what are our values? What's the why behind why we go and love people and invite them to follow Jesus. Well, we've got five of them. First off, it's all about Jesus. These things uh, define our ethos. They express what we hold deepest. They filter our decision-making as a church family. It's all about Jesus. Second, God wrote it all down. When we say it's all about Jesus, sorry, those are disappearing right away. I didn't realize I was gonna do that. It's all about Jesus. Uh, it's all about him. He must be first in everything. He's the senior pastor. He's the leader of the church. This is about him, not any one of us. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who makes us new. He's the one who redeems us. Second, that second leaf, God wrote it all down. Everything we need to know to live the Christian life, to follow Jesus, to be about our mission of loving people and inviting them to follow Jesus with us, it's in this book. And so when we gather, what do we gather to hear? Just Josh's bright ideas? I, I really hope not, because I don't have very many. We'll be done in about a week. Uh, no, it's to hear from God, to hear from his word. He wrote it all down. This is our final authority. The, the third value that we have is all people matter. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your age, no matter your intellect, no matter your gender, you bear God's image. And so you matter to the creator of the universe. And therefore you must matter to us, and you do. All people matter. We hold that value very high. And all people, because they matter, need to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that if they would repent of their sin and turn to him, man, they are so loved and there is so much hope. Do you see? Our fourth core value of, of who we are is that we all need friends. 
God didn't design us to go about this journey on our own. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Eh, I really don't need to go to church. I don't. No, actually, you do. You need other people around you in your life to encourage you. You need people when you're down who can be up and help you. You need people who, when they're down and you're up, you can help them. We need one another. You need friends. I need friends. The one thing after God created everything in Genesis, remember the one thing he said that wasn't good? It was that Adam was alone because he was created bearing God's image, meaning he needed to be in relationship with other image bearers. And uh, fifth, our fifth core value is no sacred cows. No sacred cows. Uh, This comes from some imagery. Some of you, you've gotten to travel to India with me. And uh, a, a cow is considered sacred there, right? This is just an idiom in our culture to where, man, if, if the cows weren't sacred, if we could, there's also a lot of people starving. If we could just kill the cow, we could have a steak dinner. Feed some more people. And so we're saying there's some things that we might hold dear or, or think are important, but at the end of the day, if, if we pushed that aside, not God's word, not Jesus, But if we push that tradition, that thing aside, maybe we could reach more people with the truth of the gospel. Then you know what? No sacred cows. We're going to change that. And so these five values then really are our why. And by the way, all of these things, it's the same in kids ministry as it is in Thrive, as it is in student ministry, as it is in Forge. Every ministry of our church holds these same values and mission. It's our why. They direct what we do and what we don't do. And there are values. And by the way, if you want an easy way to memorize these, do you notice the word all shows up in all of them? Except for one, because there's no sacred cows, including the word all. So it's an easy way to memorize. There's five leaves on our tree, five core values. These motivate our why. It's, it's, It's who we are. Uh, Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about the bottom side of the frame, which is our strategy. Our strategy. Uh, Strategy is the process or picture that demonstrates kind of how we're going to accomplish that mission of being sent to love people and inviting them to follow Jesus with us. How do we do it? And, And when we talk about strategy, we're thinking of it as like the container that holds everything. And we're thinking of it in terms of like a really high level, big picture, simple process, simple pathway. You might think of it like a flashlight that kind of lights the way for you. You're like, what am I supposed to do as a follower of Jesus and as part of Wabasi Bible? Here's your flashlight. Here's what, here's what we want you to do. Here's the path for you. And, and so it's threefold. Um, first off, we want every person who calls Wabasi Bible home, we want you to gather we want you to be here, to show up on a Sunday morning. You might call this our 3G strategy, because they're all Gs. And so, you know, if you're at home watching online, man, we're really glad that you are, but you know what we'd love more? Is if you were here with us, and that we gather together, because there's something unique that happens when we're together. When we hear each other singing a little while ago, when we greet one another, when we talk to one another, when we encourage one another, when we pray with one another. We want to see a gather. That's number one. 
What, what's the, we want you to show up. What's the second thing? By the way, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us, let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, meaning the day of Jesus' return. See, what, what, what scripture teaches is that what's gonna happen is that the closer we get to Jesus' return, the crazier the world gets, the more people are gonna wanna hear what they wanna hear, and the more people are going to likely uh, fall away from really following after Jesus. And so there's this encouragement, don't let that happen to you. Don't neglect gathering together, especially as you see the world just descending into chaos. We want you to show up. Second, we want you to grow. We want you to not just show up, but grow up spiritually. To grow in your faith. Connect in a growth ministry. So that might be a life group. You can sign up for a life group today as you leave. And next Sunday, that might be, uh, maybe it's just with a really good friend or a couple friends studying God's word together. Maybe it's in Forge in our men's ministry. Maybe it's in Thrive in our women's ministry, maybe it's in Salt Company, if you're a student or an impact, if you're a teen. Um, but the primary place for that is a life group. And you might think, ah, I don't know, I don't really like my life group. Well, remember, it's, it's not just what you get out of it, it's also what you contribute. So give and take, it's both. So before you give up on that, ask yourself, am Am I giving of myself as a friend in that moment and, and helping people grow? Or am I just looking at what I can get? Because God sent you to, to love the people in that group. But get connected in a growth ministry. Now listen, you don't have to do all of them. You don't have to go to every single thing we ever offer. You don't. In fact, I would encourage you not to but find at least one. If not a life group, then thrive. If, if not a close friendship, then forge. Connect somewhere. Gather and grow. Maybe an AIM. Sign up for AIM. Here's the third one. Then we also want you to go. We don't want you to leave. We love you. That's not what we mean. We mean go serve. Find somewhere to plug in. Contribute as much as or more than you consume. Contribute of your time. Contribute of your talent. You have talent. Contribute of your resources. Give. It's a demonstration of your heart. Go serve. Gather, grow, go. We want everybody to do one of those three things. And each of those kind of frame up, every one of our ministries fits into one of these buckets. Sunday morning is gather, Life groups, Thrive, Forge, things like that, or Grow Ministries. Connections, Facility Team, Impact, Salt Company, Kids Ministry, Nursery, Missionary Care, Office Help, Serving in the Worship Band, and AVL, other places, are kind of go and serve areas. Engage Sunday, go and serve. But we want you to do those three things, gather, grow, and go. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty deliberate in just saying, that's our strategy, those three things, gather, grow, go. Pretty simple. And uh, we're simple on purpose. We don't want to over-program and get everybody busy doing all kinds of things, but never growing into who God wants them to be. 
You know, it's curious, uh, as you think about going and gathering and growing, all those things, um, I, I want to uh, just draw your attention briefly here to Luke chapter 10. Because I want to suggest, you know, um, or when I suggest that I want to be careful about us doing too many things, you know, sometimes I'll get some pushback and people will get concerned. And may, maybe you think that too. And you might think, well, isn't it possible, Josh, that just doing less, you know, because we don't have a ton of programs going on. Isn't it possible that doing less is just doing less and being lazy? Maybe. But that kind of misses the point here of, of being simple. Uh, at the end of chapter 10 in Luke... Uh, Luke does something interesting in how he puts two stories together. See, Luke writes, and so does Matthew, Mark, and John, the Gospels, which are actually ancient biographies. Now, if you read a biography of somebody today, chances are it would go chronologically, right? They were born, they lived, they did this, they did this, they died, the end, right? But ancient biographies, 2,000 years ago, whether it's the Gospels or other biographies, they, they rarely actually went completely chronologically. They actually would take bits and pieces of a person's life around different themes and put them together in different spots in the biography to communicate something about that person. That's why when you read the gospel, sometimes Matthew says it's this, and then you're like, wait, I read it in Luke though, and he's got it in a different order. Well, they're just communicating different things about Jesus in a different way. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's just their concern wasn't chronology. And so what's curious, with that in mind, consider the end of Luke chapter two, where we see the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that parable? We actually talked about it last Sunday. Uh, guy's going from Jericho, and he's on the road to Jerusalem likely, and he gets beat up by some robbers and left there to die. And three people walk by. First a priest who just walks by, and then a Levite who just walks by, worship leader. And then... Uh, a Samaritan. And the Samaritan stops and helps him and gets him a room in the, in the hotel and cares for his wounds and binds him up and he serves his neighbor. It's, it's the perfect parable of always being ready to serve others, always being ready to be involved, always being a good neighbor to those who are needy in your everyday walk of life. No matter what's going on, just be ready to be that person. But here's what's curious. Right next to that, do you know what? Do you know what parable Jesus puts right next, or Luke puts right next to that in Luke 10? Right after this, Luke tells the story of Jesus entering the home of Mary and Martha with his disciples. And these two sisters respond in very different ways to Jesus being near. Mary sits at Jesus' feet to listen and to learn. But in verse 40, we read, we read that Martha is distracted with much serving. We just read how important it was to like serve and be ready at any moment. And now Martha's serving, but she's distracted with her serving. And what's worse is Martha starts complaining about Mary's laziness. Why isn't she doing anything? I'm doing everything around here. Why aren't they plugged in? Why aren't they? Do you see? What's Jesus' response? Yeah, Mary, quit being a bum. Is that what he says? No. He actually gently rebukes Martha for her busyness and her drivenness. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
a lot of scholars note that the way Luke puts those two together, it's almost as if he's saying, hey, you better spend your life ready and willing to serve on the one hand, but you had better be careful not to be so distracted by doing everything that you lose sight of actually following Jesus. And there's that weird juxtaposition we live life with, isn't there? And even as a church, we wanna help you with that in our strategy of three things, gather, grow, go. You don't have to do it all. Do some of those things. And then relax and follow Jesus with your life because you're sent out from this place. All right, quickly, let's talk about the the fourth side, which is uh, outcomes. And we're gonna talk about this more next Sunday, so I'm gonna go pretty quickly here. Outcomes, when we think of our frame, framing up where we're going, this is who we hope each one of us becomes at Wawasee Bible. It's our target. It's the bullseye we're aiming for in discipleship with one another. Um, We're gonna speed past it today because we're gonna dive into it more next Sunday with our vision, but at our elder retreat in March, we worked to really re-articulate some of these things. And um, so here's kind of the high-level summary. You'll hear more about this next Sunday. But when we think about outcomes, we're asking, what does a maturing follower of Jesus look like? Whether it's somebody who just came to faith or somebody who's been following him for decades. And there's a few things. First off, we'd say a maturing follower of Jesus is receiving from God. We just represent these with arrows. From God, you're, you're receiving from God, from his word, from his spirit, learning from him, letting him renew your mind, right? We're receiving from God. Uh, the fruit of the spirit's growing in us. The second thing is we're responding to God. We're moving toward God. We're repenting of our sin. We're, we're growing in our faith. We're growing in our knowledge of him. So we're receiving from God and we're moving toward God. Third, we're receiving from other people, other Christians. We're not so isolated that no one has a window into our life. We're receiving from other people in community with Christians in our church who are speaking into my life. And then not only that am I receiving from others, but I'm moving toward others. I'm not just receiving friendship, I'm giving friendship and I'm helping others grow, contributing and initiating community with other people in our church. And then last but not least, we're, we're moving out, we're going out on mission because we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And so from now on, think of these outcomes as kind of our, our target. They apply to a believer that any stage of maturity, we'll talk a whole lot more about it next week. Um, but they're the characteristics we want to see grow in you that I want to see grow in me. I want to continually grow in what I receive from God and how I respond to him and how I receive from other people and how I move toward other people and in how I go out on mission with the gospel. We'll be talking more about that next Sunday. But as we wrap up, that's our frame. That's the outside of the puzzle. That's the picture frame that that frames up who we are, and it really doesn't change. But next Sunday, we're gonna get into this and we're gonna look at, okay, so now we've got the what. We're sent to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with us. We've got the why, because it's all about Jesus and God wrote it all down and all people matter and we all need friends and there's no sacred cows. 
We know the how. We're going to gather. We're going to grow. We're going to go. And we know uh, the who we're becoming. We're, we're receiving from God and moving toward him and receiving from others and toward others. And we're going out. And so now we're going to say, okay, now where is God taking us in light of who we are? And let me strongly just encourage you, be here next Sunday because it's going to be fun. And we're going to look at where God is uniquely taking us as a church. But as we wrap, let me just do, uh, give you one last challenge as it relates to that lower part of the frame, that strategy. Hey, for you, you know, we said we want to see everybody doing one of, or all three of these things. Are there any of them you're struggling with or not doing? Are you gathering, you know? God's designed us for community. Again, if you're home, man, we're so glad you're watching, but if you're able, we would love so much more for you to be here. Hearing from God, responding to him, hearing from others as we sing and interact, moving toward others in friendship. Be here. We want everyone to gather and show up. And by the way, parents, especially those with young kids, um, of which I'm one, so I'm speaking to myself here too. You know, you're shaping your kids' priorities as it relates to following Jesus and being at church and every day of, the, of your life and especially every Sunday. By either gathering or not gathering, you're making decisions that are going to affect their commitment to Christ five or 10 years from now when they're in high school that are gonna affect our church and other churches that they may go to in 20 years. I know it's hard some mornings, but it is worth it. Think with that long, long game in mind. And um, for my wife, it's especially hard, right? She's doing it by herself because I'm already here on a Sunday morning, getting Charlie around, getting him here. And there's grace for the days you don't make it. Don't hear me being legalistic, I'm not, okay? There's grace. Some days it's just not happening, I get it but still make it a priority because you're shaping your family for generations to come. Second, maybe you need to grow. You're showing up, but you need to grow up. You need to connect in a life group, in a close friendship, in Forge or in Thrive or in AIM. You need some friends. You need to be a friend. Third, maybe you need to go. You need to serve. You've been consuming, which is great, but now it's time to contribute and get plugged in somewhere and serve. Which one do you need to do? That's my challenge to you as you leave today. And uh, Josh is gonna come lead us as we sing and close. We're gonna call it a morning. Let me pray.